0: Hello, and welcome back to an episode of Transformative Teaching, a FACET at IU podcast. I'm your host, Michael Maroney. I'm the director of FACET, and I have the good fortune of being here with Barb White, an IUSB faculty member. She is an assistant professor of nursing at IUSB. And she's the Vera Z. Dwyer Distinguished Chair of Nursing, Assistant Dean of the College of Health Sciences, sounds like you're really busy, and a member of the FACET class of 2022. Um, I also noticed that you, it looks like you do some interaction, you have some work that you do with the uh, the Civil Rights Heritage Center up there. Uh, I, I find that very interesting. I had a chance to work with uh, Daryl uh, heller um, a couple summers ago, and uh, that was that was a very enriching
1: experience. Yeah. How are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. Thank you for having me, I appreciate it. I wanted to correct, I'm the Assistant Dean of Nursing, not the whole college, just the School of Nursing.
0: Oh, OK. Kind of circling back to that work that you do at the Civil Rights uh, Heritage Center, um, I, I noticed in, in in your bio there's a lot of discussion about commitment to equity in nursing education. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I find I find that fascinating that um, really when we think about equity for and beyond that for for um, health and in the African-American community. How do you how are those um, kind of inter, interrelated in, in the teaching and then what's happening beyond? I mean, we talk about that all the time at IU, but but how do you see it um, coming into play the, the way you're teaching?
1: Yeah, you ask a a really good question. When I um, embarked on my PhD, I was interested in the success of African-American nursing students because when I was, uh, my master's is in nursing education and I had to do student teaching. And in that student teaching experience, um, I observed that some of those students were not treated um, in the same way that other students were treated and it bothered me. And so when I went on for my PhD, pretty quickly after my master's program, I um, decided that that was really what I wanted to study. I wanted to know how it is that that might happen. Um, And then, of course, I get into a PhD program and they say, well, what's the point of your research area? You have to have, you know, uh, so what, who cares? And so, of course, I tied it to health equity. Um, Not Really, I did so more on an academic level, theoretical level, and I didn't really understand what I was doing. And then once I got into the work, I understood um, how closely related the two are, that um, one feeds the other. So first of all, African American nursing students are often driven into nursing because of health experiences that they have had or their family has had that has been um, that has not met their standards and they have known um, is not right. And then Also, when when patients have experiences, when African-American patients have experiences with white healthcare providers, that experience goes different than if they have healthcare experiences with African-American healthcare providers. And so then I understood that I need to bolster up the success of African-American nursing students in order to feed the healthcare system so that people who come to healthcare can have more providers who know their experience and have, um, can have a similar worldview in terms of how they experience the predominantly white world. Yeah, um, we we
0: hear about this, you know, in the kind of a, the the popular press that that this is a serious issue, um, and so I find it I find it really interesting that you've been looking at this now for a number of years, mm-hmm. and um, what, I'm kind of curious what are the what are the techniques that help um, with the, the, the education of in particular in this case uh, our African American students? What are some of the things you do that might look a little different?
1: Yeah, um, so first of all, I I try to reach out to them. You know, my study participants told me about the phenomenon of um, standing out um, while also uh, not being noticed. So the two ed, two sides of the same coin um, that um, either they feel targeted and noticed and central and different, sometimes marginalized in a classroom. And other times they feel absent, not at all paid attention to, you know, and the opposite. So the trick That's is
0: so interesting.
1: Yeah. So the trick is to try to not do either. Mm-hmm. Um, so notice them enough to know their name, you know. So what it made me do is be intentional about getting to know all of my students so that I can get to know my African-American students, right, so to create a relationship of um, trust. And then um, another thing that's really important is to call out um, the racism in healthcare and the racism in society in a way that says, it's safe to bring that conversation here or I, I don't understand this because I'm a white person, but I do understand that it happens. I may not understand how it happens. I may not understand how it feels. And I certainly don't know what it's like to go through life that way. Um, But I do know that it happens and I have compassion for that. And if I present myself in that way, it offers a relationship. um, That's really interesting.
0: So I basically this notion of, you know, what do you do differently? The main thing you do different is, is you actually meet all your students where they are. You have to meet all your students where they are. And that by definition means that you're, 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 um, meeting your African-American students where they are. And, um, and that kind of is empowering to all of your students when you do that. And I like the second little piece here that you're, you've added to that too, which is this, um, not to stick your head in the sand, actually confront the issues that that, that we see in society and potentially even in our own classrooms, um, confronting those head-on and, and calling those out. Those those all seem like uh, you know a great way to go about this. Did you did you learn about these kinds of techniques um, in your own experience in the classroom, or did you do it through research, or how did how did you how did you learn?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, and I learned it in a number of different ways. I do um, participate in a lot of events at our Civil Rights Heritage Center, and so I observed people and interactions and how trust was built, and so that was definitely part of it. Um, I read an awful lot. I read um, when I graduated from my PhD, I knew that I still didn't know enough, and I spent an entire year in a, I kind of put myself through my own self-directed postdoc. So I met with the director of the Civil Rights Heritage Center for a year, and he tutored me, had me read um, a lot of I- important historical works um, by African-Americans. And then I also read on my own a lot about in the literature about teaching African-American students. Um, read, I embedded myself as much as I could in the culture. I read Black authors for an entire year. I limited myself to only Black authors for a year to try to embed myself as much as I could um, in, the, in the culture. Um, and I learned an awful lot. And then after that, you have to have courage and you have to be willing to make mistakes. And I call it skinning my knees. So there were times when I did things wrong. And yeah. um, I knew I have enough emotional in, intelligence. I am a nurse. Um, so I have enough emotional intelligence to know that, you know, and but I your patients
0: appreciate that.
1: <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> I could backtrack and say, oh, I'm sorry. I think that landed differently on you than I intended it to land. Or mm-hmm. I think I just committed a faux pas and I did not intend to do that. I am sorry. And if you come with sincerity and compassion, um, generally speaking, people are pretty forgiving. I can't, um, but I did skin my knee and I have learned that in this work, if you're not willing to skin your knee, you're never going to get good. And um, I continue to get better all the time, but I was not good at it immediately. I'm, I would say I'm acceptable now. I wouldn't say that I'm skilled. I still have a long ways to go and, um, and I continue to work on it. I also would say that um, when you build these trusting relationships, the students land in your office, sometimes not when they're in your class, but after they're done with your class. Um, they landed, landed in my office, and I learned a whole lot from my students, um, mm-hmm. and several of them have kept in touch with me after graduation, which is a really rich experience, and I get to know them kind of outside of um, the learning environment, and that has extended my learning. They've um, done a phenomenal job helping me see the world a little bit through their eyes, and I'm. Oh, really that's
0: great. That's that. great, and I I I love how you're like you're willing to put yourself in this role of um, a learner uh, with your students, um, having yeah. kind of you know get, providing the the expertise that you're learning from, and that's right. that's wonderful.
1: Right. Yeah. One of my um, study participants once said, um, she at the end of my interview she thanked me, and I several of them thanked me. And I finally said, you know, why are you thanking me? And she said, you could research anything in the whole wide world, and yet you choose to research this. You're putting yourself out there when you didn't have to. You could have studied heart disease, and it would have been a lot easier. This is really hard. And for you okay. to have, have chosen to do that, and I, that has always stuck with me. And I didn't know what I was getting into at the time. I was just curious. And after I graduation, and I realized, oh my gosh, I have stuck myself I have put myself out there, you know, they're right. George Floyd all happened after I graduated and all that stuff. And I did not know what I was getting into, but she knew what I was getting into, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So very interesting. Yeah. I've oft, often thought about how much I need to be open. And again, that courage is really just important and, and living with that vulnerability. It's good for me in the long run. It's really good for me.
0: It's It's super interesting. When uh, you're about George Floyd, uh, when, when, when uh, he died, I went uh, and I'm not that active on Facebook, but I decided, okay, I'm going to go for every year of his life. I'm going to do a post. I'm going to do an anti-racist post for every year of his life. And you wouldn't believe I got about two weeks in and I just started getting attacked all the time by people. It was, it was, it was awful. (laughs) Yeah. It was, it was tough. So yes, when you, when you, when you put yourself out there, um, Good things good things can happen, but then you also have to kind of you have to have a thick skin.
1: You do. You do. Yeah. You're
0: gonna get cut. So I'm assuming that you have colleagues who are 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 super they're champions and they're 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 maybe mentors in this space, but also they're they're colleagues who you are collaborating with in this space. And I'm curious um who who might some of those people be and kind of what what do you what kind of work do you do with them?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I um Oh, there's just so many different things that happen. So, of course, we have a DEI committee, you know, as most people do, we call it an inclusivity um, council for the College of Health Sciences. And so we do have a, uh, you know, a, a group of people who like to talk about these things and share ideas. We spent a lot of time um, visiting bunches of different places. We went up to the Pokagon Band. They have a phenomenal healthcare center in DeWajak, Michigan. Um, they do healthcare right. Um, in so many ways, and so that we embedded ourselves up there. We um, visited uh, the Jewish Federation to embed ourselves there. So that was really good. So I do have colleagues that I can talk to about this. Um, I collaborate some. I'm gonna do a, uh, a research article. We, I've been taking the students to the Civil Rights Heritage Center every semester. So every uh, master's students and bachelor student who graduate from IU South Bend Nursing, visit the Civil Rights Heritage Center, and it talks about our local history with civil rights. And um, and it occurred to us that we should probably measure that, like the impact of that. So we're going to do um, some focus groups and talk to nurses who've graduated from our program and have them reflect on their experiences at the Civil Rights Heritage Center um, and how that informed their practice and how it plays out as nurses, as nurses at the bedside, as you know nurse leaders in our community and that kind of thing. So um and I'm collaborating with the assistant director on that project. And so that'll be a lot of fun, I think, to get that feedback. Um, and then I keep in touch with some people. I have um a mentor in Indianapolis who was on my PhD committee in the School of Education at IUPUI. Um, and he's been a phenomenal um when I think when I have things that I just can't sort out myself and I need some advice. You know he's he's good so i i have somebody who can help me with my uh kind of the scholarship part of it that okay. sometimes i don't get right he's given me such great advice i did a second study um and i've had african-american um nurses help me with my studies to help me interpret what the art my part study participants talk about and to make sure i'm not missing the message you know they sometimes there's coded language and i want to make sure that i'm reading the coded language correctly um and uh, he's been really helpful in terms of how do i employ somebody as a research assistant who is of color and from a vulnerable population and how do i give them their due in co-authorship and um how do i boost you know their scholarship as well and um and so i've been very grateful to have that guidance he was he was very kind to me to share that that's with
0: a very very two-way street you're talking about right yeah here. very much yeah that that's awesome yeah you know, one thing that I've heard you mention many times is your students, and you're talking about the impact that they're having when they leave and but then you've also described how they've impacted you and and i'm I'm curious um just thinking about a particular student story is there one where you saw a learning in a way that just made you like like this is why I do this work it really gave you great joy. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I remember a particular moment. um, So nursing professors teach in the classroom, and then we also teach in the clinical setting. So we take students in groups of eight to a clinical unit, and they take care of their assigned patients. And I oversee their care. I watch, you know, what they're doing, past medications with them, look through the patient chart with them, help them interpret what they're reading and, you know, and that kind of thing. We guide them through an eight-hour shift. And um, you know, I and my specialty area is pediatrics. So one day I was teaching about sickle cell anemia, which is a particularly complicated chronic disease that requires a fair amount of thought and learning for the students, and they're pretty challenged by it usually. And this one student was really taken with it for whatever reason. Anyway, so I taught it in the in the classroom group of you know I don't know how many thirty students in the classroom or whatever. And um, happenstance, it doesn't always happen this perfectly, but in this situation it did. The following week, this one student had a sickle cell patient um oh, okay. and yeah which works out great when you teach it in the classroom and it gets reinforced in clinicals the next week within a week <laughs> perfect learning perfect learning to yeah. get, you know that is how science people do it all the time in microbiology you teach it in the classroom and then you have a lab experiment that goes mm-hmm. with it right afterwards in nursing we don't usually get to manipulate no. our patient diagnoses to have I've a always lab
0: been experiment. amazed with nurses and doctors and how much you have to hold in your head and because you yeah. never know when a patient's going to indicate something that you read about like 10 years ago.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So this time it turned out perfectly. So he's taking care of this child with sickle cell anemia. And about two hours into the shift, he comes up to me and he said, so I've been reviewing the meds and I reviewed his medical history and everything. And I'm just wondering, can you explain to me why he is not on hydroxyurea? Hydroxyurea is not a medication that you would learn about in most pharmacology classes because it's got this very small... Population that it's given for, um, given to, and it has this. It's given to um, people with sickle cell for its side effect. It's actually a chemotherapy agent, but a side of it, side effect of it, is that it produces fetal hemoglobin, which resists sickling. So it's helpful to sickle cell people. We give it in a very low dose, so it doesn't have its chemotherapy. Um, effect, and but we get the side effect out of it, the fetal hemoglobin. And he noticed this child wasn't on it. It's a chronic disease that prevents the sickling of the cells. It's a very effective medication. And he said, I noticed that um, that they weren't on it. And he said, can you explain that to me? And I said, I can't. I suggest that you speak to the physician. They're doing rounds right now, you know, stand in the patient's room when they come around. I suggest that you ask the question. And this is where nursing gets to be so much fun. He had... Um, the con- enough confidence from my class and our conversation to ask the physician in rounds. And the physician said, oh, my gosh, we missed the order. We'll have to change that. Wow. When, oh, it students, student. mm-hmm. when students can make a difference of that magnitude, I yeah. mean, found a medical, um, a medication error. We usually think of medication errors as Um, Something that is ordered and the wrong one is given or it's given at the wrong time or the wrong dose or whatever. Sometimes medication errors are errors of omission. He caught a medication error and he made a difference. And how cool is teaching when, when that happens? Just... It was a very cool moment in teaching, and yeah, it made me realize so the I, magnitude. I, I, I of had it asked happened.
0: when you were telling that I, how old was the student? I, I'm curious. I mean, to to have that the, the confidence when you're a student to do this was this an older student who came?
1: He was, was a, a little student? bit older. Yeah, he had had military experience before he came okay. into the program, um, and so I think that probably gave him a little bit more confidence. Yep. Um, you know, and um, I don't. I was just really impressed.
0: Yeah, it's that's that's impressive. Um yeah. I'm curious uh it's this was during the semester um how did how did your student react to having had this um you know interaction with the doctor and and actually doing something that was so powerful for a patient.
1: Um his reaction was first of all I think he was um he was very proud of himself for doing it and um I think secondly he he realized we teach all the time in the program we make a difference every day right and um and we need to be mindful and you can't expect anybody to be perfect every day physicians respiratory therapists physical therapists occupational therapists no matter who they are you know our lab techs everybody ourselves none of us are perfect every day and we all have to have each other's back and he realized in that moment exactly what i was talking about and to be able to realize that one of the positive things about our nursing program is that we're producing nurses who understand that concept of intercollaboration and how it takes all of us. And that, um, you know, I catch your mistake today, you'll catch my mistake tomorrow. Um, and, um, And it's on all of us. And we all need to be mindful in every moment because it matters to the patient. And then I think the last stage that he went through was the impact that he had and realizing that that it likely that child would not have gone home then I mean was not on the medication would not have been on the medication while they were in the hospital and therefore it wouldn't have been part of the discharge orders either and so it would have been missed you know potentially for weeks or months yeah and you know and it could have had a huge impact so that's very cool
0: that's that, that 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 is really cool um So we have a lot going on um, in our classes and you do in nursing as well. Uh, And most of us have at some point or another really been kind of pushed out of our comfort zone when we've been teaching. Um, And I'm kind of I'm curious if you have any any stories about a time or two when you've been pushed out of your comfort zone and how did you handle it? And, um, you know, what 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 did you do?
1: Yeah, and I imagine if you're asking that of a lot of people, probably um, they're all talking about the pandemic and having to teach on Zoom and um, things like that. So, um, and I think that that's true, but I think it played out differently for us. In At IUSB, we were very fortunate during the pandemic, COVID hit, and um, for many nursing programs, they shut down their clinicals and students were no longer going into the hospitals. Um, mm-hmm. Our healthcare agencies left their doors open to us and we got support from our upper administration to allow our students to continue in clinicals. Okay. Um, when, how I was forced, and I would say we were forced cause I certainly wasn't the only one. How we were forced out of our comfort zone was to lead students, nursing students through a pandemic when they were in the trenches of the pandemic. They weren't taking care of COVID patients. We didn't know enough about it. We weren't going to put students in vulnerable situations, but they were experiencing um, every, every moment of what it was for the profession of nursing to go through an unknown virus and a massive amount of patients and not enough staff and at times not enough equipment. And, um, and people being put into positions that they never could have imagined that they would be put in even six months prior were challenged to the max, had to depend on each other, had to do the best they could at every given moment, got new information all the time, policies were changing every three days at times. Mm -hmm. Um, And and to lead students through all that chaos, oh man, that was a lot. That was a lot. So, it do you is, feel like
0: they got an they got an extra education, or did you feel like it like hurt their their education?
1: I, it did both. It was <laughs> it was a, a both and. So, did it extend? Uh, did they get an extra education? Absolutely, they got an extra education. And we kept saying, these are the nurse leaders of the next pandemic. So, you know, we want them embedded. We want them to know. We want to. Them to see the successes and the failures, the good decisions and the bad ones, and how people reacted, and how to verbalize things so that it might go better next time. You know that kind of thing. We wanted them to experience all of it. We had this
0: vision of 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 these folks as leaders next the next time. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Absolutely.
0: So you're you're, you and your colleagues sat around and you talked about okay. Oh yeah. Pay attention to this. These are our leaders.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Mm. But the reverse of it was they were overwhelmed they were scared. Um, It was
0: hard. It was, uh, it was hard. I mean, the hospitals sounded like they were the scariest place during the early part of COVID.
1: Yeah. Um, And it was really the middle part of COVID that was especially bad. The the early part we thought was bad. And then it turned out it wasn't as bad as we thought it was. (laughs) It was bad. But when we got a little bit further along, we were like, oh my gosh, that was like a cakewalk compared to what we're in now. That spell um just as the vaccines were coming out um when we didn't we largely had a population that was not vaccinated and right. the death rate was very very high and the admission rate was very high That very was
0: that high. first winter the 2021 20, yeah. 20, 20, 20, winter Yes
1: yeah. yes yes right in there that was that was when it was really rough and um uh, so they also um the students had a uh, a lesson much sooner in their maturity mm-hmm. than is normal to understand that you can't, you not everybody survives. You can do everything right and it doesn't necessarily have a positive outcome. Mm-hmm. You can do things wrong and sometimes it's positive and sometimes it's negative. Um, none of us are perfect. We don't always have all the resources we need. We have to prioritize. Um, And it's hard. It's hard. It's heart-wrenching. It's emotionally hard. It's psychologically hard, intellectually hard, physically hard. You know, people were working massive number of hours. Um, They saw nurses at their best. They saw nurses at their worst. They saw nurses crying in the hallways. They saw nurses who could not get their heads off the desk. They were so exhausted. And they saw the most phenomenal care at death without any family around. You know mm-hmm. the whole iPad death thing. Yeah. You know, was so rough. Tragic. Yeah, really tragic. Um, but they also saw the siblinghood of nursing, mm-hmm. and how we don't let each other down, and we gather together, um, and we do it together, and we grieve together, and we celebrate together. They saw some. We saw some incredible triumph. People we never thought would walk out of the place. Um, we saw nurses, Pete's nurses, going to adult units. They hadn't taken care of adults in years, helping out because that's what was needed. Um, you know, stuff like that. So, and we
0: were bringing these stories back to the classroom and sharing with each other.
1: Oh, absolutely. We did end up with, um, you know, therapy sessions kind of going yeah, on. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing. Right. <laughs> I got to the point where I would start every class with, okay, what do we need to talk about before we're ready to learn today? You know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. Well, um, I, believe it or not, we've been talking for almost 30 minutes. <laughs> I, I, I want to ask you one last question before, before we wind up. And that, I'm curious, what's the most important thing you want a new instructor to think about in, in terms of their development of their teaching ex, ex, and excellence?
1: Can I give more than one? Sure. You can, yeah. <laughs> so one, um, I think lead with compassion. Um, always know that there's a person inside the the body that you see in class and understand that whether or not they can tell you there's a rich story behind there. This might not be the right time. It might not be the right place for them to succeed in your classroom, Um, but they're a human being who will succeed and have potential to exceed in life in the long run. So the best way for me to treat the person is to treat the person, to be person oriented. Um, So lead with compassion is one of the first things I would say. And then I would also say lead with compassion for yourself. It takes a long time to become an expert instructor. And I think that we need to be patient with each other. And I think that we need to, you know, find the people around you who can pick you up. Sometimes student evaluations are rough to, to read. And sometimes Um, students you know you try something and you think it's a great idea and students just don't they're not into it in the same way and you get discouraged Um, I think um, so I think that you need to have some good self-care and be patient with yourself and um, allow yourself to grow over time Um, I think that that's really important I guess um, the other thing I would say is our students deserve our best selves I try to bring my A game to class every time and to clinicals every time. Um, certainly our patients deserve it. Our students deserve it too. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I can I can be on my B and C game in the 20 hours that I'm not teaching in a week. You know, I can be on my B and C game when I'm grading the journals and, um, you know, preparing the next PowerPoint. And I can have some typos in my PowerPoint, and that's okay. That's acceptable. But when I'm interacting with students, I need to be on my A-game. And so I need to be mindful of making sure that I eat before I teach and um, doing my exercise and my meditation and my yoga and all of that stuff to make sure that I bring my A-game to them every day.
0: Yeah, that's great. You never know
1: where they're going to go after your classroom. And they're going to go off and do such fabulous things um, that I want to make sure that I've given them my best shot for them to be successful in life.
0: So lots of compassion and you have to take care of yourself in a way so that you can bring your best self for your students. I I think that that is a great way to wind up our uh, our our chat here today. Barb, thanks. Thanks for joining me and everybody out there in podcast land. I hope you have a great day.
1: Thank you, Michael.